used to think this was the beginning of your story. How's it feel? Killing your own kind. Worms travel deep, but get closer to the surface when they attack. If you are patient, you should see one. State Department is pulling an agent from the field that specializes in responding to escalated cartel activity. He'll be part of the team. Et bien pour des raisons politiques, car j'ai décidé d'envoyer Ad Patres et féministes qui m'ont toujours gâché la vie. Look, kid, we can't always save the day. All right, we're just cops, janitors. Aucune pierre ne sera posée sur ma tombe et mon nom gravé nulle part. Pas d'épitaphe pour ceux qui ne tiennent pas leurs promesses. Control. All about control. Pas tellement bandant comme place finalement. Je vais dire oui, mais. T'es prêt? Je peux. Coming up, a brand new format of the Film and Food podcast, Filmography and Food, ranking and reviewing all ten Denis Villeneuve films. Welcome to the Film and Food Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Roberts, and thank you so much for joining us for episode 20. Well, I'm really excited this episode because as you heard, we are launching a brand new format, Filmography and Food, which is where we look at a director's entire filmography. We rank it, we review it, and we also put a director on a plate. So based off all of their movies, what would a meal or what would a plate of their food from their movies look like? And so with the new movie by Denis Villeneuve coming out June, I thought it was no better time to launch this new format and rank and review all 10 Denis Villeneuve films. But before we dive in, I just wanted to say a quick welcome to the Film and Food podcast. We do all sorts of different episodes. We do film and food reviews where we review movies or TV shows based off their culinary and cinematic qualities and create a film or TV based recipe for you to try at home. We do Quick Bites episodes where I catch you up on everything that I've been watching lately in film and TV. We do fantasy film and food drafts and we do triple threat episodes. So there's plenty for you to catch up on. Also, I wanted to give a quick plug, something very new and exciting that will be released a couple of days after this podcast is released. And that is our first ever YouTube video, which is me reacting to the 94th Academy Award nominations or the 2022 Oscars, which honor the best films of 2021 and the Oscars is something that I'm really passionate about it's one of the things I really enjoy keeping up to date and trying to predict so yes I'm into the Oscars I keep track of them I try and predict them every year I listen to a lot of Oscar podcasts just something about the Academy Awards because it gets me really excited and so I'm going to react to those nominations so if you're interested in the Academy Awards if you're not interested it'd be pretty funny to see me react to them if you like funny facial expressions Anyway, that's going to be on our YouTube channel on Wednesday. I'll put that in the show notes of this week's episode as well, the link to our YouTube channel, so you can subscribe and follow along. And hopefully, there'll be more YouTube channel content coming. Plus, I'm really excited to say that I've recorded my first Tawny Frogmouth bonus podcast episode. And so that is for the March edition. It's going to be coming out in March. 
And so as soon as that article is ready online, I'll release this bonus episode for you to follow along. Basically, if you don't know, I write a 500 word film and food column every month for a local magazine where I live that also gets published online, where I review two movies and a TV show plus give a recipe. And so this bonus episode is a way of me chatting a bit more about a bit more deeply about the things I review and also give a few more recipe tips for the recipe. So stay tuned for that. I'm really excited. Plus all of our usual content that's coming out. So this is a really, really great year for us. We're really trying to up our game and it's really, really exciting. So make sure you subscribe, follow us on social media and thanks for joining. Okay. Well, without further ado, I don't really know if there's too much else to say, but we're talking about the films of Canadian director Denis Villeneuve. So Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorite directors working, especially his last four or five movies have been in my top 10 of those years or very, very close to the top 10 or even my number one or number two spots of those years. And this is just a great excuse to rewatch some of his classics, but also for me to catch up with some movies that I haven't seen. Now, I have to be honest right off the bat, a lot of his earlier works are very, very, very difficult to find. And Australia often doesn't get the same releases or the same access to some of those more obscure Denis Villeneuve films. And so I'm happy to report that I got to nine of the films. I purchased a copy of Polytechnique, but that DVD copy only had French and Italian subtitles. And I was unable to find a copy of that film available to Australians that had English subtitles. So I'm really, really sorry to say that, but I have to make Polytechnique not on the list. But I will be talking about the other nine Denis Villeneuve films in just a second. And Denis Villeneuve has had a very interesting career. He made a couple of movies uh, back in the 90s and then went on a bit of a sabbatical. He went on a a nine-year journey as a stay-at-home parent and then came back with a bang and has almost released a movie seemingly every year for about the past 10 years. And the run that he has been on since coming back from his sabbatical has just been incredible to see. He's gone from directing these small independent comedy type films to directing grand scale multi-million dollar budget sequels to incredible properties like Blade Runner and Dune. And I would say even now that Denis Villeneuve is one of those directors up there with Christopher Nolan and maybe a few others who can command big budget money and who uses a great deal of practical effects that are so uncommon in today's blockbusters. And if you look at movies like Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 and Dune, these are all movies that just look so utterly immersive and real. And it's just a pleasure to see a director use every single ounce of the $200 million he has to produce these otherworldly sci-fi films. And as we talk about Denis Villeneuve's films today, I want to hear from you. How many of Denis Villeneuve's films have you seen? What's your ranking of them? What are your thoughts on Denis Villeneuve as a director? This is your chance to interact to let us know your thoughts so get on social media we want to hear from you on facebook instagram twitter get amongst it and let us know all of your thoughts about denis villeneuve we'll have a couple of posts up where we can discuss all of his movies but we want to hear from you and i want to hear your opinions on my rankings because my rankings are going to be probably completely different 
to yours. And that's the great thing about doing a filmography review is that we just get to talk about great movies. And that's just what I really, really love doing. And of course, as I said at the beginning, what recipe do you pick in an episode like this? Well, I've done something a bit different, and we'll talk more about it later, but it's basically Denis Villeneuve on a plate. So, whilst it's not entirely a meal, I've taken certain food elements from some of Denis Villeneuve's films and plated them and taken a really pretty picture of basically what Denis Villeneuve's films would look like on a plate of food. And... I'm really excited for you to see those photos, for you to hear about it and to share it with you, but we'll do that maybe halfway through this episode. So with all that said, let's get on with ranking and reviewing all 10 Denis Villeneuve films. Of course, the film that is not ranked because I have not been able to get a copy of it with English subtitles is the 2009 film Polytechnique. Now, I have the, a DVD of that, but it doesn't have English subtitles. I've searched everywhere I possibly could online and could not get access to it. I really wanted to watch it, of course, for this review, but I haven't. So one day I will do a quick bites episode or something, and if I ever get my hands on a copy where I can watch this film in Australia, because in Australia it's just ridiculously hard sometimes to get access to these things, then I will update you on my thoughts on Polytechnique. So that is Ergo number 10 slash unranked film. But let's get on to the real list. At number 9, I have Maelstrom. Bon, vous êtes à la tête des boutiques Sumatra. La business, ça va bien. La business, ça va super bien. Mais vous, sexuellement parlant... On parle de cute business, là. De cute. Puis bien, on ne pourra pas continuer comme ça. C'est fini. Tout là, j'espère que tu n'as pas déménagé parce que mon char, il est stationné en face de chez vous. Maelstrom is Denis Villeneuve's second feature film that he directed. It is from the year 2000, and it's the story of a young woman who is coming to terms with her life and her career and her relationships after a traumatic abortion. And this is lower ranked. It was one of his earlier movies, but it's lower ranked because the story is just not really what you expect uh, from Denis Villeneuve. It seems like it's going in one direction. It kind of has this change about halfway through and has and, and, and kind of goes off in a completely different direction. Uh, it is narrated by a fish, and not only a fish, but a bloody fish that seems to be coming from a, um, like a fish butchery, and that is very strange, but it does link up with the plot. And even though this is my least of Denis Villeneuve's films, I wouldn't even say it's really a bad film. I would just say that it's... I'd just say it's slightly unfocused on a story level and just not up to the usual impeccable sort of craft and quality that De Denis Villeneuve would bring in his next movies. The things I liked about it, there definitely were some great performances and I did like the structure of the screenplay and how it weaved in these people's lives, like I said, with the fish that does play a role in the movie and came to this kind of interesting ending and bringing two characters together that had a lot of tension uh, plot-wise and tried to create a romance out of it. And I did find that clever. Look, out of all of... Denis Villeneuve doesn't write all of his movies, but I think the ones he writes are slightly lesser than the ones he doesn't write. I think his skill completely is of a director. And it's not like he's a bad writer. I just think he works best when he is working with a dedicated writer and is just 
focusing on directing. I don't really know what else to say about Maelstrom. It's interesting, it's quirky, it's got good performances. It is just sort of slightly lacking story-wise. It goes off in different directions. I'm not really entirely what it's about. It's definitely worth a watch if you can go and check it. I think every Denis Villeneuve movie is worth a watch. So that is my number nine Maelstrom. At number eight, we have Denis Villeneuve's directorial debut, the 1998 film August 32nd on Earth. This directorial debut from Denis Villeneuve is where I started to see where his sort of grand vision, epic cinematography, the grand scale of his shots and his blocking sort of stems from that is existent way more prevalent in his later movies. Uh, You can see flashes of that in this movie. It is about a young woman, a model who in her her mid to late 20s has a car crash and is and then starts to rethink and reevaluate her life, wanting to have a baby with her best friend. And they go to the Utah Salt Flats to make this happen, and some of the cinematography in the Utah Salt Flats is pretty stunning. It was shot on location, and that sort of grand sense of scale of them in the desert almost reminded me of some of the shots in the latest film he directed, June, where, of course, they're in sand dunes. And so it's re- it was really cool seeing where some of the sort of flair and some of the style originated from that we see today back in his directorial debut. And this really, again, isn't really what you'd expect an evil move to direct today. It's a sort of 90-minute romance where they go to the Utah Salt Flats. Again, it's quirky, it's interesting, has good performances, it can be emotional and... Yeah, I think the lead two performers have a really great chemistry in their best friend romance dynamic um, and all of the conversations they have and the obstacles that get in their way and all of the conflict that they're dealing with over this big decision is really great to watch. It has some really great tracking shots. I definitely think this is probably the better directed of his first two films and I definitely really enjoyed watching it as I went along. Again, I would probably say that this is a three, three and a half star movie. Like, really fun, really enjoyable to watch. I just think the story was a little bit lacking. I don't know if we really knew the characters enough or knew the main character enough before she had her car crash to really understand why she went on this big decision to then want to have a baby, i.e. ruin her modelling career and take this completely turn in her life. And... Even though they have great performances and they mine out this character drama really well over the next coming scenes, I think it just was slightly lacking in the screenplay department. And I still really enjoyed it. I think you definitely should check it out. Um, If you're in America, I'm pretty sure this is on the streaming service Mubi. But if you're in Australia, you might have to search long and hard like I did to find any place that has it. But I definitely think you should go and check it out especially see some of those first sort of stylistic flares from Denis Villeneuve. So and that is my number eight, August 32nd on Earth. And number seven, we have Denis Villeneuve's 2010 film, Incendies. L'enfance est un couteau planté dans la gorge. On ne le retire pas facilement. Jeanne, le Lothaire Lebel te remettra une enveloppe. 
This film follows a Canadian brother and sister who, at the death of their mother, receive her will, which sparks off this hunt for their long-lost their long-lost brother and father in the Middle East. And this film doesn't really specify where they are in the Middle East as they go on this journey, but this is one of Denis Villeneuve's most gripping and hard-to-watch films. It is visceral. It is probably one of his better-directed films that he has made. It is really great stylistically and structurally in the screenplay how they interweave the perspectives of the mother when she was alive in her journey in the Middle East during this big political crisis, civil war that was occurring, and then flashing forward to the present where her daughter and her son are looking, trying to follow the breadcrumbs to find their long-lost brother and father. So yes, Incendies is devastating. It's gripping, it's powerful, has some incredible imagery and cinematography. The way the plot unfolds and connects together is powerful and moving and all comes together in the end for a really powerful, devastating end. The reason why this isn't ranked higher for me is because I thought that the balance of the two perspectives maybe drew me out of the story a little bit because the mother's story from her past is powerful and it's so riveting and it's so heartbreaking. But on the other hand, the perspective of the daughter maybe just feels a bit less than because she just isn't too interesting as a character and is more like an audience vessel rather than someone who has her own personalities and flaws and choices, which is what you feel like when you're watching the mother's perspective. And so while this story is still really powerful and I did like how the screenplay works, I did find that the balance of the two perspectives drew me out of the story a bit and I connected more with the mother than I did with the daughter. And that really is the thing that drags it down for me. I think from a directorial perspective, this was really the beginning of an incredible hot streak for Denis Villeneuve. Every movie from here, stylistically, directorially, was just on another level. I feel like this was his return from his hiatus after being a stay-at-home dad with Polytechnique, his other film as well. And this was really when he started bringing his A-game. I feel like he'd really discovered his voice and style. There's just some incredible iconic imagery in here from the bus sequence, you know what that is, the way that the ending and all of the scenes in between are filmed. It just looks so, so good. The craft is just getting better and better with every movie. That is in Sundays, so know that it's a tough watch, but know that it is a really powerful one. And you are in the hands of an incredibly skilled filmmaker who's only getting better with every film. At number six, I have Denis Villeneuve's 2013 film, Prisoners. And every day, she's wondering why I'm not there to f***ing rescue her. Do you understand that? Me, not you, not you, but me! This is the story of Keller Dover, whose daughter and her friend go missing at Thanksgiving and takes matters into his own hands as he feels the police investigation is lacking over discovering who captured his daughters. And this is another intense, powerful, and full-on movie experience. It stars Hugh Jackman as Keller Dover and Jake Gyllenhaal as Detective Loki and Terrence Howard and Viola Davis and a few other supporting cast members. But this is a really intriguing and disturbing story that just feels like you're spiraling deeper and deeper and deeper into this web of deceit and trickery and it's like one of those classic stories where both 
plot-wise and character-wise, this main character of Keladova is just spiraling deeper and deeper out of control, um, deeper into a moral quandary and uh, moving and moving his boundaries of what is okay, what is rational enough, what he's allowed to do and able to do to capture a killer and what levels of disturbing things he does to try and capture the killer. I think even at one point he says, you know, this person who they're chasing doesn't, he's not even a human anymore because he stopped being a human when he took our daughters. And really, as the name suggests, this film, we're all prisoners in a way. It sounds silly when you say that, but the detective Loki is a prisoner in trying to find justice and getting caught up in the bureaucracy of the police station that he works for and the boss that he is under. Keladova becomes a prisoner in a way as his morality is further, further eroded by the choices he makes to try and capture this killer. And of course, daughter and his friend are also prisoners of the man who's taken them. Plot-wise and story-wise, again, I'll say it, this film feels like it's a spiral, like you are ascending, you are going on a journey deeper and deeper into the dark web that Detective Loki and Kelly Dover are trying to discover. And it has, again, another incredible ending that just so powerful and is just this kind of vibrant shocking sort of shot and scene that has such meaning and then you screen goes to black and it's in the movie this is also uh, the first time that Denis Villeneuve collaborated with the esteemed legendary Roger Deakins cinematographer as well as Johan Johansson who he worked on for the next three movies before Johan Johansson's untimely death and I definitely feel like the craft level in terms of cinematography and music, just upped another level in terms of what Denis did already. And he was already collaborating with some amazing people. But when you get Roger Deakins, you just get an absolute mastery in lighting, in framing. I feel like Roger Deakins just elevates this movie a whole nother star. There's a, there's a scene where Detective Loki is driving his police car, maybe about two thirds, three quarters of the movie. And just the way that it is shot is just so riveting and intense and powerful and so creative. And it, Roger Deakins is the only one capable of doing that. Like, this isn't a particularly sci-fi world or bright locations or, you know, he's really creatively thinking of ways he can beautifully light and authentically light this sort of drungy suburban area that it is set in. And it's just a treat to watch any movie that... Roger Deakins shoots. The music is creepy and mood setting and atmospheric and just dark and brooding and Johan Johansson his scores almost feel like they're sound in the movie and adds a level of dread and discomfort on you as the viewer which is exactly what this movie is going for and really adds to the experience. The reason why this doesn't make my top five is that I feel like on a screenwriting level there's some sort of contrived performances and dialogue and circumstances and I do feel like this film tries too hard to be symbolic and metaphoric whereas I feel like if they'd stripped some of that back to a more authentic level it would have been one of my favorite Denis Villeneuve films and this screenwriter really hasn't done too much since with his career and not saying that this is a bad script at all but I definitely think it was one of his first scripts and while I enjoy the symbolism and metaphors it brings out, I definitely think it can feel a bit heavy-handed and contrived, which definitely takes me out of the movie. I definitely think some of the performances, I love Hugh Jackman, but I feel like he's at points a touch too contrived. I think he's great. I, de I don't want to get shot because I know a lot of people love prisoners, but 
from here, every movie is above a four or four and a half star. So I'm not saying that this is a bad movie, but I've got to try and rank all of these. So one of them is eventually going to miss the top five. And for me, I really enjoy Prisoners. I've watched it a few times. It just sits at number six. At number five, we have Denis Villeneuve's 2015 film, Sicario. It's brilliant what they do. When they mutilate a body like that, they make people think they must have been involved. They must have deserved such a death because they did something. Oh, it's brilliant what they do. Sicario follows an idealistic FBI agent called Kate who is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border area between the US and Mexico. And I think I remember this being one of the first Denis films I ever saw in a theatre and was one of the movies that introduced me to him. And boy oh boy, what an introduction to one of the best directors working today. This film is a look into the underbelly of everything that is happening at the US-Mexico border. It follows Kate, who goes with this shady government task force to go into Mexico to try and mess with and politically antagonize the Mexican cartel and to undergo missions to try and disrupt everything that's going on there. And this is definitely another one of his descent into darkness type where a stand-up moral character is questioned and brought into challenging situations where they've got to choose if they're going to compromise their morals and who they are, allow the morally questionable or outright wrong things that are happening to continue happening. And the US-Mexican drug war is a perfect setting for this type of story. Emily Blunt is fantastic, is the lead character, as is Josh Brolin, who plays the leader of the government task force, as well as Benicio Del Toro, a Mexican double agent who works for whoever he can get his hands on for his own personal mission that you find out about later in the movie. Again, you have absolutely incredible cinematography by Roger Deakins. There's two sequences where everything craft-wise in this movie is just impeccable. We have the border crossing scene, which is one of the most talked about scenes of all of Denis Villeneuve's career, but it's this tension brooding, maybe seven to 10 minute scene of just them crossing the border. The score, the editing, the cinematography, the performances, the little moments of tension that just rise up into a crescendo is just cinema at its finest and is one of the best things Denis Villeneuve has ever done. The, also, the tunnel scene at the end is a brilliant example of creative cinematography using the nighttime vision goggles as well as the helicopter shots that he has in the movie. It just adds to this scene where you feel like you are part of the mission wearing the nighttime vision goggles. It is so immersive and is so powerful. The score by Johan Johansson is one of his best in his career. Again, it's this brooding, searing, scorching score that rumbles in this rhythm that just matches the pace and the moral ambiguity of the movie somehow, and it's just this perfect accompaniment. The man just knows how to completely match a film tone-wise with his scores, where he's not overbearing, but instead adding another layer of tone to what the film is already projecting. So, just amazing from his collaborators here. And I would say that while this film is just an incredible masterpiece in terms of the spectacle of what goes on, and the story is intriguing as Kate goes down this dark path of working out what the underbelly of the US-Mexican drug war is, I still feel like there was a level of disconnect I had with the film where I didn't engage with it emotionally as much as I really wanted to. I still feel like we don't really get to know who Kate is as a 
deeper person or as a person outside her work. And while it's great to see her sort of face her moral questions in regards to her work, I just found it hard to connect with the story as a whole on an emotional level. Still incredibly fantastic movie, one that I really like to rewatch. And it is my number five Denis Villeneuve film. And at number four, we have Denis Villeneuve's latest film, June. Where are they? Sir, there's protocol for a reason. If we take one step out, they're as good as dead. Besides, we've got a full load of spice. We can't just leave Damn it. the spice! I want every man off that crawler now! is another adaptation of the 1968 Frank Herbert novel, which is an absolute sci-fi classic. However, it is known to be a really hard-to-adapt novel. Many filmmakers have found it incredibly hard, incredibly dense. The world-building, the sci-fi language, uh, the plot of the spice and how it works, and the many scenes in the book of the spice influencing the main character, Paul, have made this a really difficult thing to film. David Lynch has tried, others have tried and failed, and Denis Villeneuve has wanted to do this film since he was 13 years old and read the book for the first time. And I'm really glad he waited until he had the budget and the crew and the cast to be able to pull this off because I really think he has. And I must say, of course, this is just the first part. He has been greenlighted to go and make June 2, but that is why it's probably not my number one or two film from Denis Villeneuve because it is half a film and why the character arcs are still really great um, you do know as a viewer as an audience member that there is more to come and that can leave you wanting more by the end of the film however i was impressed with the level of adaptation work they did to make this film not feel so sci-fi heady that most audience would be alienated while also not making it too too diluted or too downgraded to really do a disservice to the original novel. Now, I have read the novel, or at least 75% of it, because it is a tough novel to get through, but I found that the movie was really accessible and really enjoyable and very faithful to the book, and I thought it was an incredible adaptation. Of course, Denis Villeneuve went with a bit of a different crew here than he usually does. With the untimely passing of Johan Johansson, Hans Zimmer, who came on board to do Blade Runner 2049, which we'll talk about in a second, came back to score June. And actually, Hans Zimmer mostly works with Christopher Nolan and actually gave up doing the score for Christopher Nolan's Tenet to do the score for Dune. And I'm really glad he did because Hans Zimmer is one of my favourite composers and the, his score for Dune is one of his best, and that's not just me saying that. Hans Zimmer has an incredible body of work, but he uses voice, he uses female voices like he does in the score for Gladiator, but in this completely new way, has these rumbling drums and this searing, scorching electric guitar to just create this bombastic, otherworldly feeling score that is so grandiose and powerful and just completely takes the movie away. It adds to the movie in every single way. 
He also went with a new cinematographer. With scheduling conflicts with Roger Deakins, he went with Greg Frazier, who is an Australian cinematographer who was nominated for an Oscar for Lion, and he's also doing the upcoming Batman film by Robert Pattinson. And the imagery in this movie is just otherworldly, but it's gigantic. The spectacle, the scale of this film is unlike Denis has ever done before, and it reminded me almost of the scale of Lawrence of Arabia. Like, no modern film has has done a scale like this, except maybe Christopher Nolan on Interstellar, but I would say the scale is just so big. The ships are big, the planets are big, the size of the humans in comparison to the landscape, in comparison to the ships, in comparison to the structures and the buildings. It's just breathtaking. And what goes well with the cinematography, and Greg Frazier knows how to light a scene, is the incredible production design, the costuming, the sound work, and the incredible blend of practical and visual effects, the level of detail and thought that went into making the ornithopters, for example, like those... The CGI work there, the CGI work on the worm, the fact that they put Stellan Skarsgård into eight hours worth of makeup to look like the Baron, the ship work that they did, the fact that they used brown screens instead of green screens to get the right colour reflections on the windows of the helicopters is the level of detail they thought out to make this film feel immersive. And I don't think I've ever been as immersed in a world as I had been since his previous film, which was Blade Runner 2049. It was just mind-blowing, the level of visual effects he can get. And Paul Lambert did these effects. He won an Oscar for Blade Runner 2049 and for First Man. And again, I was just astonished by how good this movie looks. It's probably the technical achievement of the year. Every single level of craft is just insane. The casting of this movie is also amazing. You have Timothy Chalamet playing Paul, which is such a good casting choice. Jason Momoa. Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto, Rebecca Ferguson, Charlotte Rampling as the Bene Gesserit mother, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Josh Brolin, Zendaya, everyone is just exceptionally cast. They all bring their A-game in these performances. Just loved this movie. I just loved it. There's another one of Denis Villeneuve's just incredible scenes. One of the best scenes he's ever done is the Spice Harvester scene. And it was in this scene where I just was like, wow, this is a movie, this is a film, this is cinema. Like, that's what I wanted to see on the big screen, and it was just wow. Just seeing everything that happened. Um, There is sandworms in this movie, and when they show up, you are not disappointed. They don't show up often, but when you do, you feel like by the end of the movie, you're like, I got enough sandworms, which is amazing. Denis Villeneuve actually thinks this is the best film he's ever made, and it's hard to disagree with him. The only reason why it's not my number one of his movies is the whole script, it being the first half of a movie problem. And I think there are some deeper issues with the script and the adaptation that I found it difficult maybe to connect with the film because we knew that the rest of it was coming later and so there wasn't their usual payoff or character investment that they did. And because there's so much to get through, um, you do feel like you're slightly skimming the surface of what this story could be. But the more I've thought about it, the more I have loved it. It's just a testament to how good of a director Denis is that it's only my number four film of his. It just shows you that his body of work is incredible. And really, if you pick up a movie with his name on it, you're not going to have a bad time. And so I'm so excited for Dune Part 2. I think this will be like Lord of the Rings and Kill Bill 1 and 2 in that 
most people once June 2 is out will see June 1 and 2 as one big movie and I think together they might be Denis Villeneuve's masterpiece if he can pull off part 2 which I have faith that he definitely can. Alright, time to move to my number 3 which is Denis Villeneuve's 2013 film Enemy. Do you have a scar on your chest? This one? You do, don't you? I, uh, when's your birthday? This is a bad idea. I think I made a mistake here. Um, I have, uh, I have this. I went to a company that represents you and they gave that to me, to you. I, I'm sorry. Now, I know a lot of people don't really like Enemy. I feel like it's one of Denis Villeneuve's most underrated films. And mind you, I probably had Enemy a lot lower in my list before I rewatched it for this episode. And watching it again, I was blown away by the precision of the direction and the craft of this movie. It is a swift 88-minute film that is just perfect. It almost feels like it's just completely mistake-free. The real reason of whether you will like it or not is whether you vibe with what this film is going for. It has this grungy, yellow, washed-out aesthetic that is an intentional choice to go with the themes of the film. And we have an incredible, incredible performance from Jake Gyllenhaal at, as the lead of this film, playing a double role, making his role appear as similar as the film and the plot requires him to be, but with a slight difference enough that you can tell that they're different people. And that is incredibly hard work to do. And I think this is one of Jake Gyllenhaal's most underrated performances because he is completely brilliant in this film. And without his performance, the movie fails. If he doesn't pull off an impeccable performance, the movie falls flat on its face. And it's one of those doppelganger type films where you have a high school teacher who becomes obsessed with this man who looks exactly like him when he sees him in a movie where he was watching one night. And he basically goes and wants to find out as much as possible about this man's life. And the plot just absolutely goes from there. And I just found this, the pacing to be incredibly tight. I found the tension to be powerful. Some people don't like the ambiguity of the themes and the plot of this movie. However, I found it to be so fascinating the second time I watched it. I, of course, it doesn't give you all the answers, but it gives you six or seven different very credible theories that you can endlessly discuss with people that I was thinking for weeks on end after I watched this film, rattling around in my brain, wanting me to re-watch this film, to unpack it, because I feel like it has a lot to say, and I feel like it's one of those movies you could mine so much out of as you talk and discuss it. Of course, you have the spiders in this film that play an incredible thematic role. Um, Denis Villeneuve said himself that he associated spiders with femininity in this film, and that is an incredible thematic usage of this animal. You know it if you've seen the film. I found the last third of this movie just so incredibly amazing. You know, some incredible lines and circumstances that they put in, and I think maybe... Denise 
best ending, maybe not his best ending, but like his most jaw-dropping ending, um, which if you know, you know what I'm talking about if you've seen this film. Uh, it's this one final look that has so much to say. And yeah, I just, it is a tight, effective thriller that on a tone level, on a visual level, on a pacing level, on a performance level, every level of craft just adds to this incredible dreary atmosphere that really suits what this story is going for and I just really fell in love with this movie when I watched it again it was shocking it was tense it had me riveted to the screen and I definitely recommend you go and watch this and if you you know found it tough the first time to watch it give it another go it's only short it won't waste much of your time it's got a great performance at the beginning definitely give this another go I was surprised by how high I was going to rank this film in my list but I'm really happy with it being at my number three spot, which is Enemy. Okay, we're getting to the top two films from Denis Villeneuve, and these are some of my all-time favorite movies. And so at number two, we have Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. How's it feel? Killing your own guy. I don't retire my own kind because we don't run. Only older models do. Your new models are happy scraping us. Because you've never seen a miracle. Now, my relationship with the Blade Runner franchise is interesting. When I first watched it in high school, the original Blade Runner, I hated it. I didn't like it and I didn't get it. But the more times I have seen the film, as I've grown up, as I've reflected on it, I've realized for what it is, which is a sci-fi classic. It's a timeless piece of excellent craftsmanship and sci-fi storytelling from Ridley Scott about what it means to be human. It's based off this incredible novel. It has a wonderful Harrison Ford performance. It has the, the nuance and the complexities and the open-endedness of a really great sci-fi film where you can read into so much has some absolutely iconic scenes, iconic production and design, an iconic score by Vangelis. It is just a great, 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 great film. And so when Denis was announced to be taking on the sequel, a lot of people were skeptical. How do you make a sequel to Blade Runner 20? Of course, there's questions about whether Harrison Ford was a replicant. Will those be answered? Will this be a good movie? Would Harrison Ford be coming back? And Denis Villeneuve was just the right person to give the job. He had an incredible cast again. Uh, he collaborated with Roger Deakins, who won his Oscar for the cinematography in this movie. And I'm just going to take a second to say that this is some of the best cinematography I've ever seen in my entire life. The lighting that and the blocking that Roger Deakins, but especially the lighting, the lighting in this movie, it feels like Roger De It's like a character of its own. Roger Deakins was like, oh, I'm put, you're going to put you know, mega stars like Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford in this room, well, I'm going to steal the show from them by doing the most insane practical lighting effects you could think of, and it suits perfectly to the Blade Runner world, and it's astonishing. You need the 4K, you need to see this in a theatre. When I watched it for the second time, I felt like I wasn't breathing. That's how immersed I was in this film. He also collaborated with Hans Zimmer for the first, and Benjamin Wallfish, who did a really faithful and honourable, re not recreation, but they honoured the original Vangelis score while adding enough original content to make it feel like part of the world, but something new and original for this new movie. And I really, really 
like the score. The production design is fantastic. It's this newer, of course, it's set 30 years after the original film, which was set in 2019. And so it's this new version that doesn't look like the original movie. It does enough in a way that you can know it's the Blade Runner world, but this sort of updated world where different stuff has happened and different things have evolved. And they did a really faithful recreation of what that would look like. And of course, the story. I was really intrigued of where they would take this. And when I first, in the first 15 minutes, when you find out what this story really is about, I was blown away of how creative and clever it was to escalate and to add on to the themes and questions of the first movie and to take them to a whole nother level of what it means to be human, what it means to be a replicant and all these things with the way they take the plot. And if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it, but I just love the story. It's really this almost detective thriller as Ryan Gosling's character is trying to uncover his own past about who he is. It's just great. Anna Diarmas is fantastic in her role. The visual effects are just utterly sublime and astonishing some of the best visual effects i've seen in my entire life and of course when you've got the money to do it you can do it but not every movie does it and this film just looks and sounds incredible on a directing level it's amazing it has some absolutely iconic sequences i just can't really say enough about this film i love re-watching it i love watching it It feels like you completely escape from the world you're living in when you watch it. It's a fantastic sequel that's almost better. If not, I think it is better than the original. And they work so well in tandem. And they faithfully honour the movie. But it's this completely original new thing. They don't spend time uh, nostalgia bombing you or, you know, trying to explain about Harrison Ford's relationship or who he is as a replicant or not a replicant but it just focuses on what it needs to be, and it is just an astonishing achievement. And that leads us to my number one Denis Villeneuve film, which is his 2016 film, Arrival. I used to think this was the beginning of your story. Memory is a strange thing. It doesn't work like I thought it did. We are so bound by time, by its order. When I first saw Arrival, I walked out of the cinema in a daze knowing that I'd been hit with one of the best sci-fi films I'd ever seen. It is Denis Villeneuve's most human film. Some people have criticised him for being a cold director who's great on a technical level but doesn't have enough humanity in his films. And while I understand that criticism and it can be levied with some weight against some of his films, he definitely imbued his film with so much humanity here. And it is about this linguist tasked with communicating with these alien life forms who have appeared in 12 ships all around the globe. And that's all I really want to tell you about the plot because it is a joy to see this plot unfold the way it does. This was the first time and only time he worked with cinematographer Bradford Young and the images in this movie are spellbinding, the editing, 
is so incredible by his longtime editor Joe Walker. The score by Johan Johansson sounds almost like an alien itself and it suits the movie so, 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 so well. I just think of the, f- the scene, reminds me of the border crossing scene, the first time that they go to see into the ship and see the alien is just cinema at its finest. Um, of course, you have the iconic opening and ending 15 minutes of this film, which is put to the music of Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight and maybe the best opening and ending scenes ever. Definitely of Villeneuve's career, but they just bookend this film so powerfully. It is this story of needing to communicate together as a species, as humanity, to recognise the inner dignity and humanity of everyone and not immediately see everything as a threat and see each other as a threat. And the first instinct is to hide away and to resort to violence, but instead to seek to communicate and work together as one human species. It says things about time. It says things about choosing to love, even if you know everything that's going to happen, even if things are going to go wrong. And some of those themes are so powerful. It's a story about a mother and a daughter. And now that I have a daughter, I was just so, so emotional watching this film from the very opening minutes to the final ending. It is one of the most intelligent films you've seen. It's a thinking sci-fi that is intentionally paced, that has incredible effects, a spellbinding performance from Amy Adams, who doesn't really get to work. Like, there's no aliens that exist in real life. She's having to come up with these expressions and these interactions just on her own. And her performance is sublime. It's naturalistic. It's not over the top, but it packs such a punch. And I just really can't say how much I love this film. It's one of my favourite films of all time. It is a movie about aliens, but it's mostly a movie about humans. It is so thoughtful. It's about language. It's about communication. It's about what it means for us to be a humanity working together. It speaks to the world we live in even more now in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic. And it is a movie that is ultimately about hope and about love and about the goodness that we all owe to each other. And I am just so impressed by the way that Denis Villeneuve was able to incorporate that into his film with his scriptwriter, Eric Heisserer. If you haven't seen it, you need to go see it. I don't really want to waste too much more time telling you about it when you can go and see it. Hopefully it will change your life. Hopefully you will enjoy it as much as I did because it is my number one Denis Villeneuve film. Well... That that sums up my countdown. I want to hear from you, though. Go on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Let me know what you think about my list. What movies have you seen from Denis Villeneuve? What is your ranking? Where did I get it wrong and where have you got it right? This is the time for you to interact. But before we wrap up for today, I want to tell you about this week's recipe, which is Denis Villeneuve on a plate. Now, Denis Villeneuve's films don't have heaps of food in them, but I was able to creatively come up with what I think is a really great plate that sums up his films from a food perspective. And so if you go to the show notes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you will find the link, you'll find the image, you'll be able to see this on a plate and read the explanation of what it is and recreate it yourself if you really want to. So make sure you go and check that out now. What this plate consists of is five different elements from five of his films. And the first one, spice from the movie June. So not exactly a food per se, but spice, of course, is one of the main things in June. It is the thing on the planet Arrakis that 
the Atreides have to look after. It makes space travel possible. It's the pow most powerful in the Dune universe. And so on my plate, I have a spice rub that I use to rub on my fish when I make fish tacos. That is on my plate. It looks red. It looks like the spice from Dune. So that is the first element of Denis Villeneuve on a plate. The second element, I mentioned it, that Maelstrom is narrated by a fish. And while I don't have a fish that is hacked up and bloodied like the one in the film, I have a really nice piece of barramundi that is cooked and herbed beautifully. And that is my way of representing Maelstrom on a plate. The next element, I have organic blueberries from the film Enemy. Now, if you've seen the film Enemy, this is a little clue as to who is who and who, which identity is which in terms of the two doppelganger characters in the film. And there is a little plot point about him having organic blueberries or new normal blueberries with his wife in the scene. And so that was a fun little way I could get the film Enemy on a plate. Now, the other two ones are a bit more meal type foods that I've put on the plate. In the film Sicario, the policeman character has eggs and jalapenos as a breakfast before he meets the fate that the plot in the film gives him. And so I've got eggs, jalapenos and a tortilla on my Denis Villeneuve plate. And then the final element, I have tomatoes, herbs and pita bread from Insundees. And in Insundees, this is a scene in the beginning of the film where the mother character has gone through a very traumatic experience and is cooked this food by her grandmother. Now, I don't know what this tomato dish is or what the herbs were or what the bread is, but I've made my own creation of tomatoes, coriander and pita bread, which is a way of representing the film Insundees on a plate. So you've heard me talk about it, but it definitely isn't the same as you actually seeing the photo of of my creation of Denis Villeneuve on a plate. So go check it out in our show notes, check it out on social media, let us know what you think, what would you put on your Denis Villeneuve plate. Well, that about does it for this episode, Filmography and Food, Ranking and Reviewing Denis Villeneuve's Films. What did you think of this new format? There is an endless amount of directors that I would love to rank and review their filmographies too many to name so if you enjoyed this please give me feedback please let me know how we can improve it what we could add did you like the concept of putting a director on a plate in terms of the food please give us feedback let us know who you want to do next and we're looking to do some more of these style of episodes if you enjoyed this podcast can i ask you a favor can you give it a five star rating and review on your favorite podcast player especially apple podcasts and spotify those are the best two places to review us. Give us a five-star rating. And we're so thankful to everybody who's done that so far. It really helps us get into the ears, get up into the rankings and algorithms. And we're just so thankful to everybody who's given us feedback. So please, if you feel like you want to do so, we'd be so grateful if you gave us a review and rating. Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. We're on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't find it, let us know, but we're pretty much everywhere. Make sure you email us. The address is fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. I'll say that again, fans at filmandfoodpodcast.com. And join us on social media. What did you think of Denis Villeneuve on a plate? What food elements would you put on Denis Villeneuve's plate? What did you think about this new format? What is your ranking of all Denis Villeneuve's films? Let us know, comment, and follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us feedback, suggest a movie to review. The most important thing is to join the conversation. Until next time, goodbye. And thanks for listening.